I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth Admission. After a year of distance learning, thousands of San Francisco public school children now have a date to go back to their classrooms. Young kids will be returning April 12th, with more going back through the month. There are still big question marks, though, about what the schedule will look like and when middle school and high school students will be able to return to their campuses. Meredith Dodson has been following this debate intently. She's the co-founder of Decreasing the Distance, a group of San Francisco public school families that's been pressing for classrooms to reopen safely. She's here to explain the plan and what her group thinks about it. By the way, Fifth and Mission has previously hosted Susan Solomon, president of the Teachers Union, and has extended invitations to Superintendent Vince Matthews and School Board President Gabriela Lopez. Meredith Dodson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Heather. So um, this is a big time in San Francisco. We have a plan to reopen public schools. I know that you have been tracking this extremely closely for months, and um, you were you were on the press conference today, right? Yeah. What is the gist of the of what the school district has announced? What are the the key takeaways? Yeah. Um, so I think you know the key takeaways for us, as far as uh, as as far as, far, as far as we understand so far, um, uh, it's that elementary schools will be opening up in April. Uh, about five weeks from now, we can expect to see uh, a lot of our transitional kindergartners through second graders to be welcomed back to their school buildings, to their classrooms. Um, uh, Still a little bit unclear in terms of how many right away on that first date on April 12th. I think um, uh, there are some details around that. Um, And then third through fifth graders, um, I think that's more vague um, in terms of exactly when they would be invited back, if all of them would be invited back. Um, and what that would look like. Um, and then, you know, we're also very, uh, we've been really paying attention closely to middle schoolers and high schoolers as they've also been struggling with distance learning, uh, many of them. And um, and it doesn't appear that uh, they are, they'll be invited back this spring. So April 12th is the, the first date. And can you explain what the different waves of schools are? Because I know <laughs> there's waves and there's phases and... <laughs> It's a bit complicated. Um, yeah, and then there's waves within within the waves. <laughs> uh, we actually joked uh, on our team. We joked about we released a, a, a press statement today in response to what we learned, um, and we joked about releasing our press statement in waves. <laughs> but um, you know, I, 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 there's a list of schools, and there's a wave one, and a wave two, and a wave three. Um, uh, it, it, Previously, when the when the opening date was set for January 25th, um, it appeared that uh, there was a there were fewer schools opening in that first wave or, you know, on that first date of January 25th when when that was the reopening plan. Um, And now it appears that the schools will be able to open more quickly together. So that's good news. Um, uh, At least that's where, how we're understanding it right now is that more schools will be able to open in a, in that first lump, um, Mm -hmm. which will be great. Yeah. And then um, they'll gradually welcome more kids back as the weeks go on. And the intent is to welcome um, all elementary school students through fifth grade back this spring. Right. Sounds like, and that's mm-hmm. great news also. So there's a lot of things in this plan that um, parents are thrilled to hear, um, and that being one of them, that that all elementary school students are prior, uh, w- will be invited back. Uh, that's what it sounds mm-hmm. like. 
And I saw that your group had a list of what you like in the plan and what you don't like in the plan. So let's start with the good. <laughs> what did you like about, about this announcement? Yeah, yeah. Like just uh, what we were just talking about with prioritizing, bringing back our youngest learners, I think is so crucial. Um, you know, as, we're, as we've been seeing this year, it's, it's more challenging for the younger kids to learn through screens. I mean, you think about a kindergartner who's really um, focused on a play and, uh, and social emotional learning and, um, you know, not as much the, the academics, right, math and science. And, um, and so, you know, those, those kinds of like sharing um, and emotional regulation, it's really hard to teach that on screens. Um, and so we're, we're, we're excited that the youngest learners are um, being prioritized to, to be brought back this spring. Um, some of the other good in the plan, um, you know, the, the kids who are in special, the kids, the kids in special ed, um, in the moderate severe category and special day class, those kids will be prioritized, uh, to be brought back. Um, so that's, uh, something good, you know, also, um, the, the district I know is pushing really hard and we really appreciate how hard they're pushing Matthews and his team, um, for getting as uh, close to full day return, five full day return for as many kids as possible. Um, I know that was not something that was being pushed by um, our teachers union, but it was being pushed by the district. And it looks like, um, from what we're reading so far, it looks like that has um, come through and, uh, the plan is to offer as many kids five full days as possible when there's not, um, more demand than they can, uh, take in at any one school. And then what, what did you see as some of those lowlights? I know one just dovetailing off what you were just saying is that if, um, there's too many kids in a class who want to go back, then they can accommodate with the spacing requirements of the Department of Public Health, then they'll get two days of education in person versus five. Yeah, a lot of parents are really disappointed about that, especially because I think they know some of the parents know um, if they're at one of those higher demand schools. So they already know, you know, that um, the parents were really paying attention to this and who understand what the plans mean. Um, they already know they'll only be offered those two days or they expect that they'll only be offered those two days. And for a lot of working families, that's just not feasible. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and also just for the kids, you know, the consistency of being there every day is so important. Um, so that is disappointing. Um, but, you know, we understand, um, with the social distancing, you know, I think one of the things that's not completely clear is did they, did the, does this plan incorporate the new public health guidance, which says that students can be spaced four feet apart versus spaced six feet apart, which it had, had which it had specified previously. So, um, you know, if the district is doing everything, if, you know, if, if the agreement does everything it can to include as many kids as possible in terms of what public health guidance says is safe, um, then great. And I think parents will understand if we're not listening to our public health experts, which we haven't been doing for so long. Um, that's what's, that's when it's really frustrating. Um, and there's other, you know, relatedly, there's some other things that we're seeing like, um, uh, asymptomatic testing of kids, which is not following uh, public health guidance and recommendations. There's certain things like that, which um, don't make sense to us. Um, and some, some items that seem to be like, like, the, like, like um, uh, remnants from a plan written before uh, we had teacher vaccination. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, teachers are expected to be fully vaccinated if they want to be before any of this happens, right? Because I know a lot of them started getting vaccinated earlier this month. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, and then no word on middle or high school unless um, some kids who are foster youth or homeless or in um, group English learners, I believe, 
maybe welcome back if they are struggling a lot with distance learning. But in terms of most kids will not be correct. That's right. Yeah. And our, um, we've been, we've been connecting more and more with our middle school and high school parents, um, and, and, and trying to, to work with them to figure out how they want to, um, <laughs> you know, use our, use our platform to be heard, um, on this because it's really disappointing for them. The middle schoolers and high school, high schooler, uh, students have been really left out of, um, our districts, uh, or yeah, our education leaders, uh, focus this year. Um, uh, so, you know, yeah, um, that's been that's one of the big disappointing items about it is is the middle schoolers and high schoolers being left out. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth in Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com/pod. Any word on what we should expect for August? What do you think will happen for the next school year? And will older kids be back by then? Well, we have no plan right now for August. So, you know, this, this, uh, this agreement, you know, you know, on on the plus side, um, I think parents appreciate, can appreciate that this is not going to extend through the following summer, which at one point there was discussion about this MOU, this agreement between the district and and the teachers union extending through the summer of 2022. Um, and we responded pretty strongly that, uh, you know, in terms of our disapproval of that idea, because the virus conditions are constantly changing, teachers are getting vaccinated, um, six, youth 16 and up will be able to get vaccinated soon, I believe. Um, and, you know, and so with a virus that's constantly changing, uh, it just didn't seem to make any sense to, to have a plan that extended through 2022. Um, but what we, what we do hope is that they start working on that plan. If this plan is done, we hope they start working on that plan, you know, tomorrow. Um, we don't have any time to waste if we're trying to get the doors open in August for all students, K through 12 or pre-K through 12, um, by the first day of this next school year. Um, so I hope, we hope to see that our educational leaders are prioritizing all, you know, a full five-day return for all students by the fall. And what do you think was finally the tipping point? It seemed like some parents just thought school is never going to open again, like just hopelessness. And finally, we have like a better plan than I think a lot of parents expected for for April. Um, what do you think made the difference? Vaccinations, the lawsuit, your work, all of the above? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think maybe all of the above. I think the vaccinations definitely have helped teachers feel more safe about going back. We're getting more and more teachers coming our way to our group and asking to help lift up their voices because they want to go back. And distance learning, you know, teaching from um, from their homes is hard, and they want to connect with their students and they love their students, um, and they are excited about getting the vaccination vaccinations and being able to go back to their classroom. Um, so um, I think that has helped. Um, and as you said, it, you know, I did, we've, we've noticed a shift with our, with our board of education commissioners over the last few weeks. Um, not sure how much it is, you know, the lawsuit versus what our group has been doing, but, um, but we've definitely stepped up our um, public assertiveness or public pressure over the last few weeks. And, um, and I'd like to, you know, I'd like to commend parents for that work. Um, it's been really hard and, uh, you know, it doesn't feel, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's tiring, you know, it's exhausting work, it's emotional work, um, and, and it's 
critical. And also sometimes it feels crazy that here we are, this group of parents, like fighting for our own children's education. Mm -hmm. Um, it shouldn't, you know, it doesn't feel like it should be this way, but this is Mm -hmm. the situation we're in. And yeah, I I do think we've had an impact. That's the, that's the sort of the messages we've been getting, um, both from within some, some folks within the administration of the district to, you know, come out privately to tell us good work, um, that it's making a difference. Um, you know, public officials have been telling us it's really making a difference. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that, that feels good. And also at the same time, like a little, like, seriously, (laughs) this is is what we need to do to get kids learning in the classroom. Yeah. I should add for listeners who aren't aware of what we're talking about with regards to the lawsuit, this is city attorney Dennis Herrera's lawsuit against the school board and school district to compel them to come up with a actual plan. And and it looks like they're on the path, although um, the city attorney's office has said that they are not withdrawing the lawsuit. So they're going to wait and see basically. Um, And the other, um, Thing that may have helped was Governor Gavin Newsom and the state legislature signing the bill to give more money to to schools. Although San Francisco is op- opening quite in time to get as much money as it could, right? Right, right. And then I wondered if you could step back a few months, and you probably had no idea <laughs> what this was going to lead to when you first started decreasing the distance. But how did that come to you? When exactly? And then, um, and how shocked are you at kind of how much it's taken off? <laughs> Um, yeah, so so I co-founded the group over the summer with several other parents, um, kind of in response to the equitable or sorry, to the to the learning pods conversation over the summer as parents were increasingly understanding that our district was going to open via distance learning only um, and not reopen in person for any kind of instruction this fall. Um, parents were scrambling to try to figure out what to do, um, how to be able to work full time and also have their kids learning and thriving. Um, and so a lot of families set up pot learning pods. Um, and, you know, in many cases when parents could afford to have some support, they hired a babysitter or a tutor um, to help oversee kids learning and, you know, and got and grouped kids together again when they had the means. Um, so, you know, there was also, there was a response to that, um, a somewhat, you know, negative response to that, uh, vilification of parents and how could they do this? It's very inequitable. And of course you can see there are massive inequities, um, with doing this and parents were solving for their own needs and you can't really fault families for, you know, using their means to figure out what, what's going to work for them so their kids can learn and so they can work. Um, and so myself and a few others really focused on what the families were doing who didn't have the means to um, hire t- tutors and teachers for their pods uh, or for their kids so that they could, um, uh, you know, work while their kids were doing distance learning. Um, and, and we just started doing, you know, interviews with organizations that were serving these families, interviews with the families themselves, um, talking to schools. Um, and we were focused initially just on creative on the ground solutions, uh, sort of like, you know, band-aid solutions to help. Is it tutoring programs that we could bring to these families? Is it setting up equitable, equitable pods like Rooftop Elementary did um, by um, uh, com- uh, com- creating the pods themselves? The, uh, the, the, the school administration helped to assign the pods so that students without means could be part of a pod um, that a student and a family with more means um, could, you know, could could support. So it's something like that. And we were looking at all these solutions, and I'm sorry for going into more detail than maybe you're interested in, but um, the, this, uh, this, you know, we were looking at all these creative solutions, but then when we were having these conversations with families um, and or the organizations that were serving them, we heard that from about over half that wanted 
to go back to the classroom. And these were families who were the hardest hit by COVID. And these are historically marginalized groups um, and families and, you know, the, the most vulnerable kids. And so once we started hearing that, um, we decided to make reopening a priority in terms of an equitable education outcome, you know, through the, through the pandemic that we would focus on. Um, and that's how reopening became a priority, not because we were just like rah, rah, open our schools, um, but because of, after talking with these uh, community-based organizations and with the families themselves that wanted to get their kids back into the classrooms um, uh, from, you know, across racial and socioeconomic lines, um, that's when we decided to make it a priority. And from there, you know, the movement has grown and there's movements from all across the city. Um, and, uh, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of parents looking to get their kids back into the classroom. Do you know how many members you have now? It's hard exactly to estimate, but, you know, maybe around 2,500, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have a Facebook group with 1,100 families and we have a Twitter following of about, you know, I don't know, it's approaching a thousand. We've got 2,300 families on our newsletter. And, you know, so it's hard to, hard to estimate exactly, but maybe around 2,500. Mm-hmm. And, um, on that beautiful day when every public school student in San Francisco is back at their desk, will you just fold up the group and, and you're done? Or do you think you'll continue with other aims? And if so, what would they be? That's a great question. Um, I'm sure a lot of people would like us to go away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not, uh, that's not the current plan. I mean, on the, on the one hand, this work is really overwhelming. <laughs> Um, uh, and on the other hand, you know, I think that this has highlighted the need for, um, a, a group that can help lift up parents and give them a platform to be heard. Uh, you know, what this has felt like this, this school year is, uh, that parents have not had that, have had the mechanisms to really be heard and to be responded to. Um, and that's essentially how this group gained so much strength and momentum, um, because, there are so many families who wanted, um, you know, to have that ability to to speak out and to further um, opinions uh, and uh, perspectives to be considered. And so um, I, I believe we may stick around for a while. Mm-hmm. And why do you think decreasing the distance has become controversial, especially seems at the school board? <laughs> it's almost like your your name is like a bad word or something. <laughs> I was just wondering why you think that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, hmm. you know, I think, I think it's, I think it's really because we've disrupted the status quo, status quo parents, um, you know, didn't have a seat at the table. Um, we still don't technically have a seat at the table when it comes to, uh, you know, the bargaining room between the district and the union. Um, we don't expect to be there. Um, we understand that process. Um, but we've kind of added a piece to the process of, um, you know, we're here too, and we are going to be our children's fiercest advocates. If, you know, if you're not going to, uh, stand up for our children and, and do, and, you know, do what's best for them, we will be here and we will, you know, make ourselves heard. Um, so yeah, I think there's been sort of a, a process disruption. Um, we've heard from some commissioners, you know, there's a process, there's a process, and we say, great, you know, let us know how we fit into that process. And um, they haven't really, they haven't really given us their answers there. And so we've had to create our own. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you made time for me. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Heather. Thank you to Meredith Dodson for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.